Across the city and South Cambridgeshire. Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello and welcome to this week's From the Pavilion podcast. Thank you very much for downloading. Ollie Slack and Nathan Johns providing it for you. Now we're pre-recording this and also pre-recording this week's show on Tuesday afternoon because we're both shooting off to watch the football England against Germany. Score predictions, Nathan? Oh, it's got to be penalties, isn't it? Against oh, Germany. is it? Yeah, Germany win on penalties, no? No, I don't want to think about that. Nah, I reckon didn't didn't England win a penalty shootout in 2018? Yeah, that was, yeah. So yeah, exactly. So maybe maybe England win on penalties. Do you think it will get penalties? Oh, probably not. No, but I think it will be what one goal in it. Yeah, it'd be tight. It will be tight. Anyway, let's talk about something else. You just found out about ten minutes ago that I travelled down to Taunton for five and a half hours there, three and a half hours back. Now that isn't anything to do with how quickly we were driving. That's purely down to the traffic. <laughs> um, but nine-hour round trip. What's the longest you've travelled to watch a sporting occasion then? Yeah, I've managed to catch a few games whilst being on holiday places, uh, okay. some faraway places. But in terms of actually going somewhere specifically just for a game, I reckon the longest I did was a couple of years ago when Ireland played our first test game against Pakistan. Uh, I flew back from here to Dublin. So that would have been what? Nice. A couple of hours, well, more, you know, a couple of hours to the airport, an hour flight. So yeah. that would have been, what, five, six hours there. Ireland's first ever test. Yeah, against Pakistan. Amazing. But I have, I th- that was a, the game was on a Friday. Day one was on a Friday. I, for whatever reason, had to be back in Cambridge on the Saturday. So it was always, always going to be in and out on the day. Yeah. And uh, of course, day one got completely rained off. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got to the airport. Really? Yeah, I got to the airport. And conveniently enough, the reason why I was able to go in and out in a day was because the ground was quite close to the airport. Okay. Um, but I got there and it was raining so I just went home to the other side of town went straight to bed because I'd been up stupidly early woke up at lunchtime saw that it was still raining you know paid a courtesy visit to the grounds just on the off chance that they got some game in and sat there for two or three hours in the rain until they called it off and then just went straight back to the airport rubbish rubbish when is test cricket or is general crew going to put roofs on stadiums that's a good question God, could you imagine that I know what would you do if the ball hit the roof though would it be like well, they do that you in Australia. They do that in Australia in the Big Bash, don't they? Because I think they? the Renegades play in a stadium that has the Melbourne Renegades have a stadium that has a roof on it. Really? Yeah, because it's like a, it's a rugby stadium. Oh. And I think if I think Aaron Finch is, plays for them and he's hit the roof a few times, and I think it's just I think it's six if you hit it that high. Is it? Because it's, it's absolutely miles. And like, and, it, and obviously Aaron Finch being the player that he has, he has managed to hit it a few times. Yeah, you just try and get underneath it, wouldn't you? you try and middle <laughs> it straight, straight up. up in the air. Exactly. Yeah. Not even worry about people trying to catch. Just make sure you hit the roof. Might introduce a new skill to the game that could do yeah yeah just absolutely well just pure power hit it as hard as you can as long as it goes as high as possible yeah, the, i think the furthest i've traveled and i can only include sort of holidays and then going to you know travel to spain to go on holiday and then we went to go watch malaga play panathinaikos in a champions oh, wow. league qualifier which was like health and safety clearly not a thing it was <laughs> there was about three turnstiles and thousands of people before kick were just flooding through these turnstiles singing songs going crazy and they said before we got there, they said, have a look at what seat you got, what number it is, but probably won't mean anything. Like, All right, OK, we'll, we'll just go to our seat anyway. So we walk up to the top tier of this stand. It's quite high. I mean, it's it's very, like Wembley's pretty steep, but this is like almost vertical. And we get to our seat and there's these two sort of Spanish folks just sitting there, just, just sort of grunt at us. It's like, right, we've got to just find two seats then to sit down because there's, there's no organisation, nothing. And throughout the whole match, the whole 45 minutes, the second 45 as well, there's this bloke just around the corner from us standing on the edge of the, uh, the edge of the tier, not even watching the game with a megaphone, chanting to the fans. And they're going crazy. And then, of course, then when you finish again, everyone floods out straight away. The health and safety is 
irrelevant. They're just not even heard of it. It did, was it was crazy. Did the seats you ended up in were they better than the original? Oh, ones? It, it was a few rows, probably a few rows further down, maybe a couple of seats further up. It was um, it was a cracking view because because you were so high. Yeah, it's ridiculous. There was no chance of anyone. Like Peter Crouch could have been sat in front of me because it was so steep, I'd have still been able to see over his head. <laughs> yeah, I think the the steepest stadium I've been is uh, the Bernabeu in Madrid. We were really? at, we were like the second highest row in the stadium wow. once, and of course Madrid gets cold and it's the winter because Madrid's quite high above sea level, so that was bloody cold that day, really? up that high. Probably yeah. still warmer than it will be in England this weekend, though. Probably, yeah, yeah, because it's not looking great. Apparently, the forecast we don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We're going to go watch the football. Come on, England. From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another edition of From the Pavilion, your local cricket show. We ran up all of the action from around the county. My name is Ollie Slack. Alongside me is Nathan Johns, and this is your home of cricket here in Cambridgeshire. This week's special guest is Lara Neild of Tripler. We'll be hearing from her later on. We'll also be hearing from local sports historian Nigel Fenner on the 200-year history of the University Club and how Fenner's was named. As ever, we'll round up the local action in the East Anglian Premier League. The Camden Hunts Premier Leagues will bring you the latest from Cambridgeshire's men's and women's teams and, of course, the Cambridge University sides as well. We'll also continue round one of the FTP Quiz Cup very shortly and Lara will be asking us her big question too. If you want to contribute to the show, you can do at FTP Cricket 105 on Twitter and Facebook. We're not live this week because of the football, so uh, you won't be able to get in touch in the studio. There's no point reading the numbers out, but do get in touch on social media, as I said, at FTP Cricket 105, Twitter and Facebook, and we'll read out your posts next week. So thank you very much for tuning in once again and thanks if you're listening to On The Podcast. Said Nathan alongside me. Good evening, Nathan. How are you doing? Evening, Ollie. How are you doing? Okay. Good, thank you. We should point out that if anyone is listening, they are more committed than us because they are listening <laughs> during the second half of the England-Germany match when we're not here because we're pre-recording it in the afternoon because we uh, want to watch the football. So if you're listening, thanks for listening. You're more committed to this show than myself and Nathan. Yeah, thank you for listening as uh, myself and Ollie are down in the pub watching watching the game. Yeah, yeah. What do you reckon then later on? England, do you reckon they'll do it? I've absolutely no idea. I can't figure out Germany after the first mm. few games because they, they started off really badly and then all of a sudden they looked to, looked to be getting better. But um, I think yesterday probably showed us that you can't... You can't really predict anything. No. I mean, those two games yesterday were absolutely ridiculous. So That's I'm true. I am done with trying to predict what's going to happen. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it, though, the football. Uh, I had a stinker last night because there, there was so much sport on last night. So there was obviously Spain-Croatia before and at five o'clock. Andy Murray was playing his first match at Wimbledon, I think, in about four years as well uh, on BBC Two, possibly switched over to BBC One. And, uh, and then, of course, there was the France-Switzerland game on after. But also at half... Six o'clock, half six, seven o'clock. There was a Somerset against Kent on as well, and, and of you course, that, didn't you? I, I did enjoy that. Yeah, so it got to about five minutes left of the Spain-Croatia game, and three-one up Spain. Well, five point game over. Switched over to the cricket, settled in for a, uh, a Tom Banton masterclass, and uh, and then 
and then just turn back to the Spain game later, and they were winning 5-3 in extra time, <laughs> then missed the whole of the France-Switzerland game as well, because I was continuing watching the cricket. And, uh, and Andy Murray's game turned a bit dramatic as well, but yeah, did have a stink. He managed to watch it all back, though, which was good. I think it's slightly more acceptable you miss the football for the cricket rather than being one of those people that watch Love Island instead of watching the France game. <laughs> Thank you. I think that's more acceptable. Thanks. I didn't watch that. I didn't... Although there is a cricketer on Love Island this year, apparently. Oh, really? I, I yeah. would, wouldn't know. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, apparently there's an England uh, cricketer on there, like a parability cricketer on there. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. he's, he's made it on there, but um, I didn't watch it, so I wouldn't know. But all the best to him. Does Good that, luck. Does yeah. that give us a good excuse to watch it now? Probably I not. I don't know. Maybe we could just, yeah, maybe we could have like a Love Island feature on the show. <laughs> Unlikely, I think. Doesn't go down well. <laughs> um, but of course, Euro's fever has swept the nation. Do, do you reckon it was a sort of similar feeling of vibe back in the World Cup in 2019? Uh, difficult to say, isn't it? Because most of the games by the final were on Sky, weren't they? So I don't think as many people would have been watching them. Um, obviously, the, the whole free-to-air conversation is... Probably a different conversation for a different day, but uh, I certainly thoroughly enjoyed it and I managed to get to a game. Um, I think I got to the England-Bangladesh game, which, yeah. was, which was quite fun. So I certainly enjoyed it. And uh, the final, obviously, that was tough to tough. That's tough to beat. Mm, yeah. Well, as people know on the show, I was lucky enough to be there for the final. And I think when I was... I can't remember what train station I got to, but walking towards... Um, uh, probably St John's Wood, actually. Walking down to Lord's to get to the, the ground on the day of the... Actually, the day before the final, I think, because I was there match day minus one beforehand. So walking down there and you sort of see the posters on the bus stop of, of England, we believe in you, that sort of stuff. And, and it generally did feel like there's something special an event going on. And, and that, I think, for the first time, I did sort of feel... It was almost on par with like, like a Football World Cup or, or Euros, for example, when um, walking up to Laws on that, on that match day minus one for the final. And the final itself was, again, amazing, just... What a day. And it was quite damp, I think, to start. But I think it was, was it the finals delayed a bit because of rain? There was something like that. It definitely, it was a low-scoring game, wasn't it? Maybe yeah. because the pitch was a bit damp or something like it, that. But, I mean, the ending, and it turned out yeah. amazing, yeah. absolutely amazing. And the scene afterwards, when the, the, everyone, the fans went, the cameras went, and there was just like a, just watching the, the families, all the players came back out onto the pitch and just had this amazing moment with, in the sunshine, the Lord's sunshine with their family members. It was, it was pretty special, yeah. And that, that sort of... I think it's probably on par with what we're what we're feeling now with the Euros and and World Cup. But uh, it's nice that cricket can uh, can deliver a similar feeling. I'm not sure our cricket cup can uh, deliver a, a similar feeling. That is the FTP Quiz Cup. Oh, it definitely does. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> well, we are over halfway now. We reached the halfway point last week of round one, and last week James Williams of Wisbeach Town saw off Mike Sewell of Cambridge NCI to make it through to the quarterfinals. And now it's time for two more local sides to go head-to-head. Delighted to welcome on Cambridge's Johnny Atkinson and City of Ely's Tom Bowman. Evening, guys. Hello, you right? I'm very well. Hi, guys. How are you doing, Johnny? First of all, just talk about the the win on the weekend for yourselves. A very good win on Sunday in the ECB Club Championship over Peterborough. Yeah, I think they won because I wasn't playing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Um, It's not true. From what I gather, uh, a really good win against a strong side. So, um, yeah, in- incredible to be in the last uh, 16 teams in the country in the national knockout. So we've got Brentwood uh, next game, who we've played against quite a few times in the last few years in the national knockout. Um, and they're a really good side. They managed to rope in uh, Chris Green from Middlesex nice. um, for, for their game on Sunday. So hopefully he flies back to Australia before the next round. But, um <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's, it's uh, really exciting and um, sort of a good bit of good news for the club um, amidst um, sort of a t- tough few years for us. 
So you've got a good history against Australians. I mean, you've been smacked down Christian back down the ground before getting knocked out. Yeah, yeah. I, I try and stop the story after saying that I hit him down the ground before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mention the bounce, but knock me out. No, that was a funny story. And if people want to listen to it, they can do on a on a podcast on our on our website somewhere. Tom, how you doing? Not too bad, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. How's the the season been going at Ely for you? Uh, pretty mixed, to be honest. I think we had decent expectations that we'd be able to compete at the top this year. I think early on we got done by the weather a few times, as I'm sure a few teams did uh, around the county, and haven't really been able to put put a kind of any momentum together since. Uh, but fortunately, we had a good win on Saturday. I think similar to Johnny, it was probably because I was unable to play. Um, so hopefully that will yeah, give us a bit of momentum into the second half of the season and see where we end up. Nice to hear we've got two guys in red-hot form then with us who are regularly playing in the uh, Cambridgeshire cricket scene. Anyway, let's explain the uh, format for those who haven't listened so far. So Tom and Johnny will be competing against each other. They'll have six possible answers to a question, five questions. And the player going first will take a guess. If they're right, they get the point. If they don't, play passes across to their opponent. And uh, if they get it wrong, play then returns to your opponent until there is one answer left. To decide who is going first, you will answer a separate question. And that answer is a number and the closest wind to take control of the game. Make sense, boys? Yep. Yep. Good, good. Ready, Nathan? All good, yeah. Let's uh, start with the, the toss then, the opening question. So, up to and including the World Cup final back in 2019, what we just spoke about, how many games of ODI cricket have England won after the 2015 World Cup? So, between the 2015 World Cup and including the World Cup final in 2019, how many games of ODI cricket did England win? Johnny, you can go first. Uh, 25. You can have a 25. What about you, Tom? Well, I, I won't be cheeky and just go one either side of Johnny. I'll try and play it properly. Um, Good man. I, I rec- I'd reckon it'd be a bit higher than that, so I'll probably go 35. You can have a 35. The correct answer is 65. Oh, gosh. Out of, Bloody. Out, of 90, out of 99, which is a very impressive win rate of 66%. And uh, just because I didn't have too much to do this morning, looking at statistics even further, if you take out no results as well, that win percentage increases to 70% which is a, a very impressive record indeed. So, Tom, you take control of the game. Are you ready for the first I'm question? I'm not sure that was an overly deserved taking control, <laughs> was it? Yeah. Hey, we'll take it anyway. Are you ready? Absolutely. Yep, go on then. So, who scored a century in Monday night's T20 Blast fixture between Kent and Somerset? Was it Tom Banton, Zach Crawley, Darren Stevens, Devon Conway, Lewis Gregory or Daniel Bell Drummond? Well, I think I think you may have already given this away on your pre-chat, even if I hadn't watched it, Ollie, but uh, it was Tom Banton. You are correct, yeah. Didn't really think that one through, did you? Well, I I said to myself on the way in, just try not to mention the cricket from last night before <laughs> we start the quiz, but that didn't work out very well. That was the first thing you said. You're sitting there in his Somerset yeah. jersey, and the first thing he says when you sit down is, did you see Somerset last night? Well, it was too late to change the question at that point. So, <laughs> Johnny, question two for you. England saw off India very comfortably on Sunday, winning by eight wickets. But who saw them home with an unbeaten 87 not out? Was it Lauren Winfield-Hill, Tammy Beaumont, Heather Knight, Nat Siver, Amy Jones or Sophia Dunkley? Oh, I've got no idea. Um, no, not because I don't have like women's questions. <laughs> um, have a guess, Johnny, come on. OK, Nat uh, Siver. You're going with Nat Siver? 
play passes over to Tom. What do you reckon, Tom? I think it was my namesake. I think it was Tammy Beaumont. Was it Tammy Beaumont? It was. 2-0 lead for Tom, and this question is for Tom, so he can actually take the win here. I feel like I've stolen those first two questions, to be honest, Dolly. <laughs> well, you have a chance of winning it here. David Willey picked up a three-foot against Sri Lanka in the third T20 International on Saturday, but which team has he got the most T20 International wickets against? Was it New Zealand, West Indies, Australia, Pakistan, India or South Africa? Would you reckon? Oh, um... This is not one I know, obviously. Uh, I'm going to have a guess, though. I'll go for Pakistan. You're going with Pakistan. <clears throat> Johnny, a chance to get a point on the board. Again, absolutely no idea. Um, but I'll go West Indies. You're going with the West Indies. 2-1. Right. 2-1. Uh, back in it. Back in it. Play passes over to Johnny for question four. You ready? Ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> South Africa won the second T20 International against West Indies on Sunday. But who is the Proteus T20 skipper? Who's the captain for the Proteus? Is it Kagiso Rabada, Rusty van der Dusen, Buren Hendricks, David Miller, Quinton de Kock or Temba Bavuma? I don't watch enough cricket, I think. Um, <laughs> I'll, I, again, this is a one-in-six shot. I'll go uh, van der Dusen. You go with van der Dusen? Tom, to win it. Well, again, I'm not 100%. Uh, I thought I'd read somewhere that they had they'd appointed a new captain that was Temba Bavuma, but that might be the 50 overs, but I'll go with Bavuma. She going with Temba Bavuma? It's correct. It's a very good answer. And Tom takes the quiz 3-1. How'd you feel, Gosh. Tom? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty good. I, say, I think I got a bit lucky with those, with those first couple of questions. But, yeah, I managed to... Pluck out a good bit of knowledge at the end there. Johnny? I'm devastated. Ruined <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, my day. Have, hopefully, hopefully England win later to, to save the day. Yeah, otherwise it's an absolute disaster. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. At least oh, you went on a nice anyway. run this afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to eat some chocolate now to, to drown my sorrows. <laughs> Sounds like a really good afternoon. Johnny, thanks for playing. <laughs> no worries. Thank you very much for inviting me. Cheers, Johnny. Tom, congratulations, mate. You're through to the quarterfinals. Thanks so, very much, Ollie. Well done. We don't know who you're playing yet. The draw will be made in, in due course, but will you be coming back to represent Ely again? Yeah, it'd be rude not to, wouldn't it? So, yeah, I'll be here. It would. Tom, thanks for coming on, mate. Not a problem, Ollie. Have a good one, and, yeah, let's fingers crossed for England. Let's hope so, eh? Tom Beaumont and Johnny Atkinson, they're taking part in the quiz. Tom, the winner for City of Ely. Good win for him, wasn't it? Good win for him. I tell you what, though, I would not be happy if I was if I was Johnny and, the, to be and fair, I didn't get the first question and to, the answer was already said. To be fair, earlier. no, I, I didn't say you got 100. I said it was a good, it was a masterclass from Tom Banton. It could have been an equally okay. equal masterclass from Devon Conway. He could have took about six catches behind the stumps. And Maybe. Bit of a technicality, that, I think. Get true, away with it. True. But Tom knew the answer anyway. He said that, so. Oh, fair enough. It was, fair a, enough. It was, a, it was a good question question to to get first up but he got the question right beforehand didn't he with the old very true, very true. Toss. That's, a, that's a good win percentage that isn't it for England yeah it's incredible isn't it when you actually think about it like that I mean well they've just been they've just been quite good since since that disastrous <laughs> World Cup haven't they they just they, you know, have. they flick that so they flick the switch yeah 
And obviously it resulted in 2019 and that was absolutely fantastic. I tell you what though, we got dangerously close there to getting to a fifth question. Still Once again, all right. All right. that same fifth question is still there. I tell you what, we've been building it up so much every week it's after every quiz. It's, it's probably going to end up being a massive letdown if we ever get there. Mm. But uh, Anyway, I look forward to that question being finally revealed eventually. Anyway, Tom Beaumont, the man, through to the quarterfinals representing City of Ely. Well done to him. From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to From the Pavilion. So ahead of this year's men's four-day varsity match at the Parks in Oxford on Monday the 5th of July, we're going to take a trip down memory lane to discover the history of Cambridge's ground fellers. Last year marked the 200-year anniversary of the University Club and local sports historian Nigel Fenner has the story of how town clashed with gown and how the light blues home that sits right at the heart of our city was named. I suppose cricket in the town yeah i think you need to go back to to parker's peace what an extraordinary facility that it is now but it certainly was in the 19th century and before and oxford university didn't have the same in in the sense that this is something a ground right in the center of the town and so there was a great passing crowds there to watch both the town and gown play on parker's peace together obviously sometimes separately and it was extremely popular you know games would take place uh, where there weren't boundaries in those days and players from one fielders from one game would run into the so it was hugely popular and that was part of the problem and frank fenner my relative was yeah was was actually very clever as a networker he was a local tobacconist but he was able to bring town and gown together so that they played in the same team and the town became one of the top three sides in the country between 1840 and 1860, really. And Fenner takes most of the, of, of the credit for that. However, and you can sort of appreciate this, that the university felt that they wanted their own ground. And, and it was about privilege uh, and they didn't want to mix with the, you know, the hoi polloi and the public and people walking across their games. They wanted something that was for them. And, and that's sort of understandable. I mean, of course, we would, it would not be possible today because, you know, sport is for all. So, I mean, they had tried, this was the university, they tried, this was before the relationship with Fenner, they had tried to move to a separate ground, which is where Mill Road cemetery is now and before it was a cemetery obviously and they flattened that and used that for 10 years and it didn't quite work out um, i think the church that owned the ground wanted to take back some part of the the ground so they sort of squeezed it it was a bit damp so they went back to parker's peace for for about sort of 15 years um, i mean interestingly and you know, just a slight aside there's a player who played for the university in the you know the early days of the the uh, university cricket club who's actually buried in the cemetery so it was the the cricket ground that the university played for for 10 years 1821 to 1831 then they went back to parker's peace so that didn't work so the university persisted with this and then they went to what is now called fenners they didn't use Use Fenner to start with. They used a chap called Lily White, famous cricketer, and that didn't quite work out. And then, so the third sort of choice, if you like, was 
let's approach Fenner. He can sort it out, which he duly did. And uh, the university were delighted by this. Obviously, it took a bit of time to sort of uh, bed down. But what Fenner tried to do was to try and get the town, who were playing on Parker's piece, to join him, to follow him, so that there was this sort of specialist, you know, enclosed ground where they could play high-quality cricket and the facility, you know, wouldn't suffer from carts sort of going across the middle of the wicket, etc., which happened on Parker's piece. And the town said no. And, and for very good reason, they said cricket is for the million. That was a, a, a well-used quote. Just saying to Fenner, no, we want the cricket accessible to everyone. And Fenner, who was a businessman and obviously saw this as a business opportunity, not just the games that he was putting on there, the, the cricket games, but he also saw it as a, a like a leisure venue. So he would use Fenner's or Fates and athletics meetings and what have you. So the town said no and stayed stayed on Parker's piece. The university then developed an, into one of the best teams in the country from the 18, 1848 when he opened the Fenner's ground and obviously produced sort of more county cricket captains, more test players than any of the counties. So clearly what Fenner did resulted in the university being one of the best teams in the country. However, we all know about, unfortunately, the demise of, you know, relatively speaking, of local county cricket, because it just, it became a third class county at best. So really, Fenner, for about 15 years, was sort of really struggling. He didn't turn his back on town, town cricket at all. He actually helped and tried to set up a county county club but but it really didn't work out and I'm not really sure why in 1861 1862 he left and actually he went to live in the west country I think he was tired disappointed and I think he was offered opportunities down in the west country so yeah the link between Fenner the town and the university so the town playing on Parker's piece the university club playing on Fenner's a stone throw away from each other Surely there was there was tensions there, Nigel. There was a rivalry. Yeah, I mean the town versus gown uh, annual cricket match had always been something that that everyone wanted to see, and that that carried on. I think that what though what Fenner did was actually on some occasions, not all the time, but on some occasions he was able to to bring, and it's the it's it's the beauty of sport, if you like, that it's able to cut across class boundaries and what have you, and he was able to. To, to make it into the most extraordinary successful team in the 1840s to the 1860s. I mean, I think that part of the problem was that there were tensions in the town because the town had grown very quickly in terms of population. So the rivalry actually was, was there. And I think the separation between the town playing cricket on Parker's Peace and the university going behind closed doors, it didn't help matters at all. But I think what it did for the for the university, it modelled for them that having a specialist facility behind an enclosed wall was a model that they then followed. And as we all know, and it's a, it's, it's a bizarre, rather odd situation in Cambridge City now, is that there are about 20 or 30 colleges that have their own grounds dotted around you know, the outskirts of, of the town, all are having their own grounds, sort of, not quite like that. And they all have their own boathouses on the river. 
And I'm not saying it was just because Fenner modelled a specialist enclosed facility that they all followed that model. But I think that that's that you know I think you can make that as a high hypothesis, and that probably created even more of a wedge between town and gown. Whereas before, as I said when I started, the mix of sports taking place on Parker's piece was a very healthy state of, of affairs, which didn't happen obviously in the university in the sort of academic circles. That was a very separate thing to the town. But sport was able to bring town and gown together. But unfortunately, Fenner unwittingly, I think, sort of drove a bit of a wedge between town and gown. In a sentence then, Nigel, could could town and gown ever come back together again? Well, part of the, the story that I'm writing in my book is, you know, I think Fenner had a model and uh, which he tried, he tried desperately to make town and gown play together and it failed. And I think that my, my book will try, uh, yeah, to sort of see where he went wrong, what, what might have been done differently. But I think that in a sense, the, the precedent had been set. And sort of since then, the university and the town were separate in terms of sports facilities. But what we're seeing today, and I'll give you two examples, there are probably many more, is the Gattaca ice rink out you know, on the Marshalls Airport, the Newmarket Park and Ride, you know, that is a partnership. So Gattaca was a student, uh, I think a Canadian, who was a student at the university in the sort of 40s or 50s, who played ice hockey for Cambridge University. And part of his legacy, he gave money, a lot of money, to the ice rink. Uh, but it was the county council as well. And it's a partnership and it's a community facility. And I hope it's used equally between town and gown. Uh, the other thing is the hockey facility up at, I think, Wilberforce Road up in um, northwest Cambridge. And that is a community facility. Again, I think it's, it's benefited from parents of some children who benefit from their education in Cambridge, giving a lot of money. But it's, you know, Cambridge Town hockey play there. So I think that we are sport is now sort of being able to bring town and gown together when we've had probably about 50 60 70 years of there being quite a big separation so you said a sentence that was a longer than a sentence i'm sorry <laughs> no it's nice to hear because you sound optimistic which is is what we like to hear nigel thanks very much for your time no problem at all delighted to have a chat On Cambridge 105 Radio. Yeah, really interesting chat that I had with Nigel Fenner. It was actually before we covered the varsity match, uh, the T20 varsity match between Cambridge and Oxford uh, back in May. And uh, yeah, really interesting chat with, with Nigel there. Nathan, as someone who is uh, part of the the gown, if you like, and uh, and uh, and plays their cricket at Fenner's, could you see Fenner's ever sort of come back hand in hand with the old town and? potentially, you know, welcome, say, whether it be CAMS or other clubs around the around the county back to Fenners? Oh, look, I think, you know, in the most diplomatic way possible, 
you know, we kind of struggled. It's this year's been a lot better, but in previous years, like even even the university team maybe has has played a lot of games away from Fenners, and you know, the availability is always a bit of an issue. Um, I I think you know I'm definitely of the opinion that groundsmen in general across and I've seen it everywhere you go in the world groundsmen love preparing wickets but necessarily don't like it when, when you play on them and, and mess them up um, so you know my, one of my good friends at home is a groundsman and I always give it, you know, say that he's too precious about his pitches and you know what's the point of making them if you don't let people play on them all the time um, but I think you know it's Fenner's is such a beautiful facility and I think you know the more people that, that use it the better as far as I'm concerned mm. Yeah Vincent as well not just Fenner's other university grounds other college grounds as well around the Around the county, I think we had. Um, I'm trying to think, it might have been Chris German from St Giles last year. Might might be wrong. He was saying, should they be used to um, to allow sort of Cam's age group cricket played and, and really give the uh, the juniors the best possible chance and the best facilities to use? Yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I mean, it's very easy for us to sit here and talk about you know groundsmen not letting people use the grounds and stuff, and you know we're we're not groundsmen ourselves. We don't know what's going on, but in theory, you know, from the outside looking in, at the end of the day, these these colleges are all public charities aren't they so there, sh- there should be some sort of obligation on them to to, time, to be active in the community and give back to communities and you know one way of doing that would be to let let their grounds be be used and be accessible um might, might be difficult for the some of the some of the youth stuff because that would have to be on weekends and i know college games probably take place on the weekends as well um but yeah i think that there definitely should be a way of maybe opening up some sort of dialogue on that between the clubs and the university Speaking of clubs, speaking of town, let's talk about the East Anglian Premier League then and round up how our local sides got on on the weekend. And I'm slipping back last week, Salton and Abraham have drawn level at the top of the table with Great Witchingham after bottom club Horsford's shock three-wicket victory over serial winners Swordston. The Rams took 17 points from a draw away at Copdock and Old Itzwitchian. Matthew Haig starred with the bat, making 1-5-1, as Salton and Abraham declared, on 298 for five. Copdock and Old Itzwitchian held out for a draw in the end, finishing on 179 for nine, just clinging on there in 60 overs, despite Ben Clover's four for 38. But after back-to-back losses in the weeks previous, skipper Dan Heath was delighted with his team's display. The thing that pleased me the most is, is um, obviously it doesn't go down as a win, but it's as close to a perfect performance as we could probably do. Um, with the bat, I think we got it absolutely spot on and we finally kind of worked out, I think, the right way to play the Red Bull game for the first time on Saturday. If we look at our score, we were not a lot, 50 for naught, almost off 20, 25 overs, which is not really how we tend to play it. But I think we learned that keeping wickets in hand at the start and giving yourself some leeway at the end to go and tee off is the way to play. And like you say, obviously, two disappointing losses the two previous weeks. I think we all expected to lose. I expected to lose more than two games by this point. But I think the thing that disappointed us the most about losing was we didn't play like ourselves. And I wanted to get back to being ourselves again as quick as possible. And that's exactly what we did on Saturday. So, yeah, obviously always disappointing when you don't win. But it was as close to perfect as we could possibly be. So we weren't that disappointed, really. Nine points separate the top four as well. So does it feel like you're in a, a promotion race, four-horse race? Well, look, if, if we can if we can stay within this top four now moving forward, then, then why not? I think for us, it's actually about getting as many points as we can for the remaining five Red Bull games as much as we can. We're definitely a side that favours the pink ball game, just purely off a lot of us have played one day and 50 over cricket a lot, all our cricketing lives. And definitely the, as a batting group, we definitely favour the pink ball stuff. So I think it's about getting as many points in the final Red Bull games as we can, knowing that we've got six pink ball games to come where who knows what we could do in those games so we're excited obviously to play the red ball format but you know if we can just keep 
tighten up the points during that and just see where it takes us. And then when it gets to the back end of July, when the colour kit comes back out again, then, you know, who knows where we could end up come the end of September. Your next three games are against sides in the bottom five, so I would probably ask you, it's a nice-looking fixture list, but then you see a result like Horsford beating Swarston on the weekend and you probably think twice. I think the league table is kind of, you know, you, you take it with a pinch of salt a lot of the time because every single team has got three or four really top players. So, yeah, although admittedly we're playing against teams that are slightly lower in the table than ourselves, there's no gimme. Um, you know, look at some of the, the performances. Frinton chasing down 300-odd against Cambridge. Like, it's incredible performance that. Horsford beating Swarsden, as you say. Any team can beat any team on their day. I know when we play Walden, they've got a few players coming back, which obviously make them a little bit stronger as well. So all these teams will definitely uh, definitely give us a good game. And, and if we win or draw or lose, whatever, whatever we'll be, we'll be. You know, we'll just give it our all as much as we possibly can every game. Yeah, well, Cambridge lost a very high-scoring affair to Frinton-on-Sea on the weekend. Batting first, Aminda Ranawira's 113 was instrumental in them posting 319 for five off their 64 overs, but Frinton chased it down with 59 overs, thanks largely to Michael Combers unbeaten 159, so lots of runs scored there. Saffron Walden succumbed to a 71-run defeat at Bury St Edmunds, being bowled out for 146 in chase of a target of 218 for victory. Four wickets apiece for Jack Ormsby and Ben Harris coming in vain there for Walden, who have now only won one of their last four. Whilst Bell and Lexing also lost on their travels, falling by 98 runs to Great Witchingham, Ollie Jeffrey's knock of 76 wasn't enough really to cause their opponents any fear as the visitors were bowled out for 218 in response to 316. So as we said, Sauls and Abraham are now level on points with Great Witchingham at the top both on one nine one. Four points separate our three other local sides in the middle of the table. Cambridge jump up two spots to sixth despite their defeat with one two eight. Walden are right behind them with one two seven and Burnham have dropped one spot to eighth on 124 points, but crucially they're still sixteen points ahead of the bottom two. Next week, Cambridge host Temp play Sudbury. Walden are away to Mildenhall. Well, there's another local derby to look forward to as Sauston of Abraham take on Bell and Exning. Just to mention, just to sort of dot the I's and cross the T's, what we were speaking about earlier with Johnny, Cambridge were also in action in round three of Group 13 in the ECB National Club Championship. They faced off against Peterborough Town, coming out on top by five wickets after chasing a total of 204, skipper Lewis Hill led the way with the ball, taking four for 34 of eight overs. He's been in fantastic form, whilst Adam Bassingthwaite's unbeaten 83 was top score off the chase. They're through to the last 16, as we said, home to Brentwood on July the 18th. Moving on now to the Camden Hunts Premier League. Histon kept in touch with Eaton Soken at the top of the table after winning a thriller at home to Ramsey, bowling out their visitors for 2-2-4 for a narrow five-run win. God, that sounded like a bit of fun there. David Pickett, the pick of the Histon attack with his 4 for 37. Ramsey's Michael Caprikey falling four runs short of a century, agonising that. Histon's Henry Wilson earlier top scored in their innings with 69 off 77. Elsewhere, Eaton Soken made it seven wins in a row after they defended 173 for nine at St. Ives Town and Warboys, who were bowled out for 68 in their chase, falling 105 runs short. Joe Dauburn with a magnificent spell of 6 for 16 off his 10 overs. Stanford Town saw off Cambridge St. Giles by 24 runs, defending 161 for eight, thanks largely to Scott Chamberlain's economical 4 for 19 of his 9.3 overs. 
Simon Prentice also chipped in there with three for. Cambridge seconds successfully chased Marchtown's 158 all out, reaching their target with four wickets to spare. Deepak Raj and Navid Ahmed both picking up four wickets in a winning effort, while Wisbech Town posted 256 for six before then bowling out Foxton for 197 to secure a 61 run victory. Gary Freer, the star of the show there for Wisbech with 105, though he was matched by Foxton skipper Alex Hooley, who ran out of partners while on the same score. Ollie caught up with Gary after Wisbech's win. I feel we're starting to get a little bit more confidence together. We've got a bit of a plan now of how we go about it. Um, again, the whole team struggled last season in the, the little bit of the season we had. But this year, we, we've, we've had some fairly heavy defeats, but we've now seen to have turned a corner, hopefully, and we're, we're looking to cement a place in that top four. And uh, you mentioned your team sort of turned the corner in terms of form this year. What was the sort of light bulb moment, if you like? Was it a, a sit-down conversation with the guys? Was there any sort of real watershed moment or did it just happen? No, we've had we've had plenty of the sit-down and chats over the years. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say anything sort of clicked and happened. Obviously, if I get myself in some decent form and Josh Bowers gets in decent form, then we've got the, we've got a chance to get some big runs. I've, I've sort of taken it upon myself a little bit to, Try and bat a bit longer, not go so hard so early. We've got Sam Albert who opens the batting with me, who, who hits the ball hard. So I'm sort of trying to set myself to bat through a little bit more, which hopefully will help. I was going to say, in the, the spine of that team, you've got yourself, Josh Bowers, James Williams as well, all guys who've had experience of playing not only at this level for a long while, but also above and for Cambridgeshire as well. So that must be, be great for some of the other younger guys, just throughout the whole club, really, from first team down to fourth, that can really learn off, off those top players. Yeah, in theory, that's right. We all still net, so we all still turn up to net, so we do try and help others out. Sometimes it, I think it could work a little bit the other way that, in the past, they've sort of thought if myself or Josh or Willow get out, then we've sort of lost when I think now they're Danny, Sam Albert, Johnny Garner, who's come through this year. They they now understand that they can win games themselves. And I think that's a big thing for us that no one's getting any younger. So we've got to make sure the new lot coming through start winning games. We're sort of out on the limb a little bit in the county. So we, we don't get a lot of players sort of turn up for nets and more on a play sort of thing but we've, as long as we can keep building and bring the players through ourselves then we're in, going in the right direction I think And then as I said looking at the league table fourth for the minute in those playoff spots what do you make of the the position the situation the teams around you? We were talking about it after the game with some of the Foxland lads and we were sort of saying maybe the league's not quite as strong as it has been in previous years but it, it's very competitive so you feel like Aiton Soken are obviously top and, and Histon, but Eaton Soken probably got the best bowling lineup. To be fair to them, and they they're sort of pulling away a little bit at the front. But every other team you feel could beat each other on any particular day, and even Eaton Soken sometimes you feel that if you can get them under pressure, if you can get enough runs on the board, then you can you can bowl them out. So I think any side can beat any side in it, which is pretty good. Like it might not be the strongest cricket in the world, but if it's competitive, it's it's enjoyable. I think we're just over halfway in the season. Like I say, Eaton, Soken and Histon have probably pulled away from the other sides. But we're sort of with a group of, I think, seven, six, seven teams that can all finish or got a very realistic chance of finishing in the top four. So it's, it makes you have competitive cricket all the way through, which which can only be a good thing. There's no sort of dead rubber games or anything like that. So it's a bit more enjoyable. 
So after the weekend's results then, the table is as follows. Eaton Soken are at the top, six points ahead of Histon in second. Bit of a bigger gap then to Foxton, as, and as we said there, Wiswich are down in fourth. The bottom two are Cambridge and St. Ives, although Cambridge are only four points behind Cambridge St. Giles. In Division 2, Newmarket continued their winning form with a three-wicket success over Foxton seconds. Saffron Walden also came out on top in their clash with Wearersley, chasing down 142 all-out, also with three wickets left in the shed. That win closes the gap between Saffron Walden and top spot Blunham, who were beaten by 56 runs by Old Lesians. In Div 3, Salston and Babram 2s returned from their week off to extend their lead at the top thanks to a 46-run victory over Orton Park, while Eaton Soken seconds were also in winning form, seeing off Wisbech Town seconds by 74 runs. Yeah, just a few other matches to make you aware of from the weekend. Cambridgeshire made it three straight wins to maintain their grip on Group 3 of the NCCA 50-over trophy and secure a quarter-final place after beating Lincolnshire by seven runs at Grantham. Jack Pottercurry's 89 from 86 balls really helped them get up to that 2-3-9 mark. Lincolnshire fell just short, though, with Sourceman of Abraham's Mark Smith and Oundles Harrison Craig taking three for each. Now, we mentioned Fox in the National Village Cup last week, and on Sunday they take on Crowhurst Park in the last 60. Now, Crowhurst Park are top of the fourth tier of cricket in Sussex. A win would take them in to the quarter-finals. And, of course, the final, remember, is being played at Lords. Congrats also to Triplo Ladies, who defeated Berkswell in Group 2 of the Club T20 plate. That win solidifies their status as regional champions. That's the regional Midlands champions for some reason, meaning they're through to the national final four alongside Mildenhall, another regional winner still to be decided, and Renforp, who Triplo will face in the semi-finals on the 11th of July. They also start their EOPL campaign this Sunday against Melton St Audrey's, and we'll be hearing from skipper Lara Neild next. Cambridge 105 Radio from the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. Yeah, she also mentioned Cambridgeshire women who were in action on Sunday, unfortunately lost by two wickets to Buckinghamshire. Uh, they posted a 165 for six, but uh, Buckinghamshire uh, chased it down with uh, what, about five overs to go or so. That was in the East of England Women's County Championship. Staying with women's cricket and Triplo are the only Cambridgeshire side in this season's Women's East Anglian Premier League and they play their first match of the league campaign this Sunday at home against Melton St Audrey's. They're also coming off the back of a very impressive run to the club T20 plate national semi-finals and I caught up with skipper Lara Neild earlier on today. Across the city and South Cambridgeshire. Cambridge 105 Radio. Laura, let's start off by talking about the regional T20 competition and I probably should have started with congratulations because you have won your regional group. You're through to the final four of the national comp. So it's uh, fair to say it's gone pretty well for you. Yes, it's done really well to get this far. I don't think anyone expected us to get quite as far as we have and it's very exciting for the club. It's great to play different opposition and obviously to play in some beautiful grounds. We played in an absolutely lovely one in Gloucestershire. Um, a couple of weeks ago and the girls did really well this weekend to get the win to win the, the regional final so now in national semis and it's as I say all very exciting for everyone we're very looking forward to the next round Just to explain how the competition works because there's a cup competition you're in the plate and also you mentioned sort of regional group but as you said you travelled to, to to Gloucestershire not so long ago which isn't too regional <laughs> No so we're in the Midlands region um, so that goes right away across to Wales um, so it is a bit of a trek to play some of the matches. The last round was in Coventry area and the one before that was Gloucestershire, so it's not that close. Um, 
the way the competition works is you play a cup fixture. Everyone plays across the country, cup fixture at the start. If you lose, you're into the plate. And we unfortunately lost a very close game against Stoney Stratford in the first round. So we got put into the plate competition. But we've enjoyed being part of the plate competition. And as everyone can see, we've done quite well in it. So, yeah, it looks good so far. And uh, through to the national final four. So who are the, the clubs you'll be playing in the in the semi-finals and hopefully possibly the final? So we're playing Renthorpe in the semi-finals. It's a neutral ground in Derby. So again, a bit of a trek, but it's yeah, an exciting trip. Um, so we've got them in the semi-finals. And if we win that, we're against the winners of the West group. I can't remember who they are. Or against Melden Hall, who are the winners of the South group, even though they're not that South. But... <laughs> Yeah, we just focus on one game at a time and hopefully try and win the semi-finals and then see see what happens, really. And how often do you do you get to play sort of T20 cricket? Is it a regular is it a regular occurrence or is this sort of competition a breath of fresh air, really? From the club point of view, we don't actually play a lot of T20. We've played um, maybe one or two friendly T20s against university and teams like that at the moment, start the season. Um, but obviously the EPL is... 45 so it's a longer competition I have to say from talking to the girls a lot and prefer the longer competition you can get a bit more into the game and a few more people get to take part particularly the T20s we don't get quite so much of a turn for everybody um but they're good fun and they're much more exciting than T20s normally because they're obviously shorter format and you can have a bit more of a go because your wicket matters slightly less so it's good to have that competition as well as a mix and as I say it's nice to play different teams so it's just a, a whole new experience for a lot of us, but it's good. Yeah, a few of the seven teams in the East Anglian Premier League have, have played a, a few games already. You say, well, haven't yet. Your season kicks off this weekend. Do you feel sort of this is where your season really starts, albeit we're at the sort of start of July? Yeah, definitely. I did have a conversation about somebody saying that, oh, the junior season's finished. And I said, oh, the girls' season hasn't started yet. It's all very exciting. We we're looking forward to it. Um, as you say, I think every other team in the league has played. So at the moment, we look like we're very much rock bottom of the table. Um, but obviously, we haven't played a single fixture. So we're hoping to creep back up to the top again and do as well as we did last year. But we'll have to see. Everyone looks very strong this year. I know there's a lot of runs and a lot of wickets being taken. So um, we'll have to see how everyone goes on Sunday. But we're all very excited to get started. And as I say, competition looks good this year. So, so what are your hopes for the campaign then, Lara? Whereabouts? Are you looking to finish in the East Anglian Prem? If I'm honest, I think we should try and push to win it. But you obviously don't know what everyone's going to be like. Everyone changes slightly year on year. And I know there's been a few team changes in some of the teams. So um, it'll be very exciting to give it a go. But yeah, as I say, you don't really know where you're going to go until you gauge your first game. But we've got a strong team out on Sunday and we hope to, to push Melton as far as we can and see if we can win that first game and then give it a go I know we'll put a top of the table at the moment they're looking very strong this season so we'll see how it goes but yeah it doesn't look like there's going to be any easy games so it's all going to be a very exciting season either way um, we'll just see how it goes really And is it colour kit pink ball you in your colours or you got to put your whites back on again? It's colour kit so this year we've got a brand new black green yellow colour kit it's very exciting um, it's a bit of a transition period for the league so I know there are a few teams playing in white but a lot of them are playing in colours but we're looking forward to it we're just hoping it's not going to be too hot because I think the black's going to be a bit 
a bit warm, but yeah, it looks good and we look really smart in it. Actually, we played one of their um, T20 Cup games in the coloured kit to debut it and it looked really, really good on the field. So very excited to put that on and get started. Good to hear. And uh, what are your sort of hopes, your ambitions been for this campaign as a whole, really? Because I think we spoke at the back in the last year and you were talking about the, the second team and it being difficult because not too many clubs around Cambridgeshire for them to get many matches. Um, so there's probably a, a few girls not getting too much cricket at times throughout the season. But how have you managed to, to sort of sort that issue out this season? So our second team's in the two counties west, which is the Suffolk competition um it's us and Caton and a mix of Suffolk teams in that league um so they've got a match every weekend or every other weekend which is really good um we hope to be able to put that out I think we shouldn't struggle hopefully for players touch wood but we've got a few friendlies against high roading and e-league because they've got women setups as well who aren't in the league so there'll be a lot of fixtures for twos I think this year and with the cup competition obviously we've Currently had to use quite a large squad for the cup, which also makes it even more successful from a club point of view, because I actually had to think had three matches in a row with different teams completely in that competition. So it's looking good for the twos this season. Hopefully they'll get some good matches in. And they start as well on Sunday. So we've got a, a home double header of the twos in the morning and the ones in the afternoon. So it'll be a big day of women's cricket, which will be great. Yeah, great to hear. And with regards to the, the Cambridgeshire scene as a whole, it sounds like there are a, a few more clubs knocking about. You mentioned Ely there, Coton as well. So when we spoke last year, there was potentially an issue of, of not too many clubs in Cambridgeshire. Obviously, yourself are the only one in the East Anglian Premier League, but not too many clubs in Cambridgeshire for girls to actually take their school's cricket or cricket they're playing elsewhere to a club set up every weekend. But it sounds like sort of feels to be more clubs starting up. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's sort of a a push that needs to happen, but it's, it's in the right direction the motion is taking place. So it's, it's definitely a few years off being developed, but it's great to see the likes of Ely and City, Cambridge and that getting their um, teams together. I've had a few more who are looking to start, which is really good. Um, yeah, it's just one that hopefully in the future there'll be softball league or a, a beginner's hardball league that will be introduced that can get a few more matches for them. Because as you say, a lot of girls are playing in schools now, so it'd be great to get that transition set up so that they can play not only in men's teams but in women's only teams as well, which would be great. Yeah, we just the one for the future, I think, but it's currently looking like it's going the right direction, which is a positive. So slow progress. How do you sort of go about quickening that up, speeding that up? Because if clubs are listening and they've got a bunch of women's cricketers, how do they put plans forward, make sure they're taking the right steps to setting up a women's team? I think it's working as a group and the one thing that Triple is I mean, we love getting players and we don't want to turn anyone away, but we do get an awful lot of players coming from different clubs. Um, so it'd be great if as much as anything, those girls can also be welcomed at their clubs and stay at their clubs and build the girls set up at their clubs rather than necessarily relocating. Obviously, with the AAPL team, Tripro is quite a, an attractive team to join, but it'd be great to build up local clubs as well rather than just have everyone moving across to the different teams because we've got loads of girls and it's great to have loads of girls, don't get me wrong. It'll be great to spread them out across the county as well so we can have the competition as much as anything um, and develop the girls cricket in the county but I think for most clubs it's just making them aware that it's not as difficult as it seems to set up particularly if you've got a, a booming youth section and you've got men's teams every week there's no reason a women's team couldn't fit into that they're not as complicated everyone seems to think they are to run so 
Um, it's just about getting the right people organising it and happy to get involved. But it's, yeah, starting with softball cricket and things like that and then growing is the way to go, I think. Well, glad to hear it's growing. Glad to hear you're back in action this weekend, Lara. All the best for the weekend. Thank you very much. From the Pavilion on Cambridge 105 Radio. Yeah, big thanks to Lara Neild for coming on this week's show. It looks like we're going to run out of time for a big question, but it was such a good big question that we'll, uh, we'll save it for when she comes on the show live. Of course, we're pre-recording this week, so we can shoot off and uh, watch the footy. But Nathan, you were watching the Cambridge University women play in the 50 over varsity, weren't you? Yesterday didn't go too well from. Well, unfortunately, I couldn't watch, but I was scoreboard watching, and uh, yeah, sadly, an 88 run defeat there for them down at Wormsley. Um, Alice Babe got three for, and Emma Jones scored 30, but the, they fell short of Oxford's 235. Sadly, worth mentioning, Emma Jones also made her debut, or was included in the Southeast Stars squads and team the other day, starting 11, and you'll be catching up with her hopefully in weeks to come. But that is pretty much all we've got time for on this week's show. Enjoy the football, Nathan. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I was expecting you to come in your Germany shirt. <laughs> oh, no, I sadly don't have one. Turned up in his Czech Republic shirt. I, I tried to put my English shirt on, but um, regrettably it hasn't been washed since the last World Cup, I don't think. <laughs> so, uh, Was it I thought, thing? No, just accidentally just shoved it back in the cupboard. And uh, so I opted for a Somerset shirt. And we haven't even had time to chat about them winning last night by 10 wickets. We've run out of time. Sad times. Well, I mean, yeah. you did give away the quiz. No, no, no. No, I just was gloating over Tom Banton's masterclass. I didn't specify that he scored a, an amazing 100 off about 50 odd balls. Fair enough. Fair did you watch enough. it? Uh, no, sadly I didn't. But I, I, now that you've talked about it so much, yeah. I will go home now and watch the highlights. Yeah, uh, you should. Definitely should. It was a pleasure to watch. Also managed to watch him on Friday night in Taunton, making their nine-hour round trip to watch him score 77. You went down to Taunton? I did. How was that? It was very good, very enjoyable. Almost as enjoyable as today's show. Nathan, thanks very much. Thank you, Ollie. Thanks very much for tuning in. If you have done, you can tune in again next week, Tuesday at 6 o'clock, and also download the podcast. Head to cambridge105radio.co.uk. We're also on Spotify as well. Apple Podcasts too, so plenty of places for you to listen. Until next week, stay safe and well. Bye-bye. Cambridge.